Hello, friends. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I am speaking with Nedra Tawap, who is a Instagram superstar, but also a really phenomenal therapist. She's been on the show before, if you remember back in 2021. And she's a new book out that I was so eager to talk to her about. The book is called Drama Free, and it is about improving and navigating our family relationships. I think you're going to get so much out of this. So let's dive in. I'm Sharon McMahon, and here's where it gets interesting. Thank you so much for joining me again. It is a treat to see you. Thank you for having me back. What an honor to be here in this new space with your new name and a whole new situation. I'm excited to chat. I, well, first of all, thank you for taking the time. I know that you're very busy with publishing your new book, doing a Who, book me? tour. <laughs> no way. Busy? No, what are you not talking busy. about? Bored. Bored. I'm sorry. I'm so bored. Bored. <laughs> bored with publishing your new book. Bored of going on a book tour. Bored of being an Instagram star. <laughs> all of it's so boring. <laughs> not i'm glad to alleviate some of your boredom Nedra. <laughs> just call me anytime yes i loved drama free because this is a book that i think applies to nearly everyone it is a book about navigating tricky sometimes dysfunctional family relationships and i mean honestly who among us doesn't have somebody that we could use a little wisdom in navigating a relationship with. Some of us believe that we don't need that help, but as you know, (laughs) (laughs) they probably need it more. They need it more. Yes. I think in our attempts to change our families, we have to change ourselves. And I hope that's what people get from this book. The family members who might benefit the most from this book may not read it, but you, you have the opportunity to change your relationship by just changing yourself. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com 
So there's a few things that I think would be really, I think people would really enjoy hearing from you on because sometimes people are left asking themselves the question, is this normal? Is it normal to feel this way when I talk to my aunt or my cousin or my grandma or my mom or my sister? Is it normal? Is it me? Am I the problem? What Can you help us understand what actually is an unhealthy relationship? An unhealthy relationship is one where there is a pattern of problems that is persistent. That problem could be a hypercritical person. It could be gossip. It could be abuse. It could be a neglect. It could be all sorts of things that we consider to be a problem. It could be a person not supporting you, not showing up to your events when they're invited. It could be a person who disrespects your home. It could be all sorts of things. I think, you know, when we think of dysfunction, we think of the big things like, oh my gosh, no, my parents didn't stab me. I'm fine. But on a smaller scale, many of us are impacted by our parents constantly talking about our bodies and making us get on diets and, you know, all sorts of things. can be impactful. It doesn't have to be something that you have a external scar for. It could just be internal damage that is very problematic. So let's say somebody realizes like I am in an unhealthy family relationship. They have a couple of choices, right? How would they make a choice between, as you lay out in your book, managing a relationship with somebody And you give a lot of great strategies for ways that that relationship can be managed. It does not mean just continuing to be abused by another person or continuing to exist in an unhealthy pattern, but you give strategies for how to manage a relationship with a tricky person and choosing to end a relationship with somebody. How would somebody make a choice between those two things? What kind of advice would you give to somebody standing in that crossroad? Yeah, I think it depends on the decision that you're able to live with. There are some relationships that are so important to us that we will deal with a person's behavior forever because we're not ready to leave it. And then there are others where there's no connection, there's no sense of being, and you may decide to leave that relationship. I don't think it's easy to leave relationships with primary family members like your parents or your siblings. I do think it's easier to maybe end a relationship with cousins and uncles and that sort of thing because the expectations there are different. But for parents and siblings, I think it's just really challenging to be in those situations where you may need to end the relationship with them. One of the things you also mentioned in your book that is a topic that I find very interesting and is really, from my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is sort of this emerging field of research, which is about the concept of generational trauma. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about what that is and how it might affect people. Generational trauma is trauma that has been passed down trauma that has been persistent with you, your mom, your aunties, and your cousins too. It has gone on and on. I once had a friend who said, none of the women in my family are married. Not my grandmother, not my mother, not me. Isn't that a pattern? But they also had this thing of when a person got into a relationship, 
oh, you don't need him. He doesn't need to tell, you know, so it was like a whole culture of toxic independence Mm. where, you know, it's like, you need to do everything yourself. You need to figure it out, girl, you don't need him. Just this generational pattern of really isolating and aloneness. And so one of the things you mentioned in the book is that researchers have uncovered things like people who are the descendants of Holocaust survivors, for example, have higher levels of stress hormones. And that that that's not the only example. You give other examples in the book. What can someone do if they realize, like, I'm dealing with a generational trauma situation? First of all, probably therapy, right? <laughs> probably that might be a good idea. Just spitballing. But How do you learn to recognize that potential pattern of generational trauma? Being aware in your relationships, when you see multiple people doing something, a pattern exists. If everybody is only walking on one side of the street, guess what? There is a pattern of people walking on that certain side of the street. When do you start to ask questions? When do you try to figure out, hmm, what's going on here? Do they know something about this other thing that I don't know something about? Is there something I want to change? Are they doing it just because the other person in front of them did it? You know, there are a lot of things we can ask. There are often times where we see that maybe in our families, there's a history of unloving um, relationships. Unfortunately, I've seen a pattern of unloving parents play out where your mom had a terrible relationship with her mom who had a terrible relationship with her mom who had a terrible relationship with her mom and so on and so forth. And no one has stopped to say, how do I break this pattern and have a better relationship with my daughter? Because I don't want to be one of those people who also has an unhealthy relationship with my daughter. You mentioned at the top that often when we are thinking about changing relationships with our family members, it really is about changing the relationship by changing yourself, changing how you interact inside the relationship, setting boundaries, things of that nature. And you you use the phrase, change is hard and worth it. Why is change worth it? It puts you closer to a life that you create for yourself. You know, many of us exist in a life created for us. We exist in a life that doesn't even feel like our own. And I remember in childhood, people telling you who they thought you should be. Yeah, because you're such a great teacher or you're such a, you know, people are really telling you like, who you should be. Like, you're such a good helper. Or it's like, I don't want to be a helper. (laughs) I just want to have people to help me. So I think it's interesting how we do that, not realizing that energetically we're planting seeds on who a person should become. Mm. What I'm hearing you say is that changing allows us to be in control of our own destinies, and we do not have to accept the life that is designed for us by someone else if we choose to change. Absolutely. And that can be really hard, not living a life that is what others want for you. I think that happens a lot in the LGBT community where, you know, many parents are like, wait, whoa, this is not what I wanted for you. And they have to exist in the life that they want for themselves. You know, I think that's 
really challenging. But in many instances, we don't even give ourselves like the opportunity to explore what type of parent, what type of career, what type of partner, what type of shoes. You know, I've talked to adults who are still being dressed by their parents. I also wonder how those parents have that power because I do not have any power over my (laughs) nine-year-old's wardrobe. And I just Mm -hmm. want to indoctrinate my kids in the same way and it's not working. Wouldn't it be nice if parents could just indoctrinate their children with like, only use your cell phone one hour a day. Always complete your homework on time. Never hit another child. Like if those things actually worked, we'd be sitting in a lot different position. I acknowledge that my kids challenging me or questioning rules is actually healthy. Mm -hmm. That is the thing that is going to be good for them in the future. And it's very annoying right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I totally feel you. In the future, you should definitely dress yourself and own your own (laughs) style and question stuff and figure out your own path and fight against the machine. But right now I'm the machine. So (laughs) it's Stop fighting me. Stop fighting me. (laughs) Yes, I can absolutely understand. I have a 10 year old where I see the qualities that I think that someday she's going to take these qualities out into the world and she's going to be the person who does not accept injustice. She's going to be the person who stands up for the people who are defenseless. But right now, it seems like a lot of arguing. You know what I mean? But I can see the writing on the wall. Like, I do not want to try to parent these qualities out of you. I want you to continue to be that person, even though it's so annoying sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of the things you also talk about in your book is about stages of change. And I found that really helpful because so often we think it's just like a light switch on off, change, don't change fix it, don't fix it, quit smoking, don't quit smoking. We think of those same kind of examples in our own lives where it's either change or don't change. But learning more about the stages of changing, I found that a really helpful piece of information that it actually, changing is a, for most of us, is a process. It's not an on-off switch. It's not a fall asleep or or be awake kind of situation. Can you talk a little bit more about the process of changing? You know, it's not something that happens like when you think about it. Like right now, I'm trying to change the way in which I look at having to complete certain tasks as a parent, as a partner, as human. I've been thinking about this all year. (laughs) It's been like, you know what? I'm going to change everything today. It's like, who could do that, right? So it's more about the process of that and the time it takes to do that. The change first happens with the ideation that a change should be made, right? Like, oh my gosh, I want to do this new thing. I've been thinking about it. This is the first step. Here's the second step. Sometimes we stay in ideation mode. We don't always change like, oh my gosh, it's been a year. I need to get over this. It takes a really long time sometimes for us to make committed change consistently. And so we it starts with people sort of formulating this idea of like, I think I might want to change something. But then it's not always just a a leap off of a diving board into, well, I've changed. I fixed it. There's more that goes into it than that, right? 
Absolutely. I think the thing that goes into it is what will happen when you make this change. And often when we make changes within ourselves, it does change our relationships, particularly with family. The thing that that changes is how you view stuff. You know, sometimes when I continue to have relationships with people who have unchanged behaviors that I used to engage in, it's hard to see it. You know, when I'm in relationship with a person who loves to gossip and speak poorly about people, and I'm like, I don't do that anymore. It's like, oh my gosh, oh, it hurts me to hear that about that person. You know, it's hard when you've made that personal change. That's not even saying, hey, you need to stop doing it. It's like, I can't even hear it in the same way that I, I used to enjoy this. And now I'm like, I can't even listen to it. Like, it's mm. so horrible. But yeah, I think we know that about change. Like, if I really acknowledge that this person hasn't or has been blank to me, if I really acknowledge that this thing is problematic, it will create some sort of problem in my life. We have all had embarrassing moments where something didn't smell quite right. And if you have any children or people in your lives who have stinky toes, stinky feet, and those stinky shoes pile up by the door of your house, and then when people come over, they're like, um, your house smells weird. There's a solution for that, and it is not necessarily spraying down your house with disinfectant. It is taking care of the smell at the source by using Lumi on places like the people in your house's stinky feet. It is a whole body deodorant. It is safe to use anywhere on your body. It was created by a doctor who saw firsthand how stinky feet and other body parts are often misdiagnosed as problems when in reality you could just use a product like Lumi and it would take care of the issue. It has been clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, New customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SHARON at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use code SHARON. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress in our life. Absolutely. It's unavoidable. It's just part of the human experience. But some of us have more than others, and some of us handle it better than others. Some of us really keep it bottled up, and it can start to affect us negatively. I would imagine at some point in your life, you can relate to this, right? And therapy is a safe space to be able to get some of these things off your chest. And that is why so many people find benefit in speaking to a qualified professional. If you're thinking about starting therapy for something like managing your stress, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit 
betterhelp.com slash Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Sharon. We hear from a lot of interesting people on this podcast, and I know that I am always hungry for more. And what if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? Guess what? You can. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best instructors. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, your computer, your smart TV, even in audio modes, you can listen to it like a podcast. I know that when I watch Doris Kearns Goodwin, that first of all, I'm going to be getting fantastic information, that the production level is going to be incredible. And then I'm going to walk away feeling smarter and more informed than I was before. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Sharon. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Sharon. Masterclass.com slash Sharon. You mentioned that one of the fears that people have when it comes to changing or asserting a boundary, which is, you know, a type of change, deciding that you're going to set up a boundary, is that people will view them as rude. Mm -hmm. And you gave several examples in the book of things that people told you, like, I once, you know, refused to sit in the front seat of a car and people were like, you were rude. I think that is often a deep seated fear is that people feel that they will be judged or that they'll be talked about behind their back or that people will think that holding this boundary or, you know, refusing to go along with gossiping or whatever it is that they will be viewed as rude. How can we get over that? Because that is a big fear of people's. Yeah. Well, Sharon, I have to tell you, I know I'm talked about behind my back. I know it. And I know it because other family members have, oh, they said this. And I'm like, hey, their perspective is their perspective. I don't, I don't even get upset about it. I haven't ended a relationship with a person who has said this stuff because their perception of my boundary is their perception. And I can't control how they feel about me wanting or not wanting certain things to occur. I can't control how they feel about anything. And so I think us trying to control that narrative is really us trying to control that perception and us feeling like, you know, if I get everybody on my side, they'll believe. And it's like, people are entitled to have a response to your boundary. That's tough to accept for some people. I feel like they want everyone to hear the boundary that they're asserting and be like, okay, you know what? I see that you're correct and I accept it and I, I support this boundary. But often that is not what actually happens when somebody asserts a boundary. And that can feel, especially when you're initially dipping your toe in that water, that can feel really bad. It can feel like, never mind about the boundary then. Like, what are we supposed to do with that? I think that we have to learn with our to deal with our discomfort around that. It is often the case that 
we want people to make us feel more comfortable about a hard thing that we have to do. And so when they are like, oh, yay, your boundary, it's great, it's amazing, it's wonderful for our relationship, that's the only way we feel like we can place the boundary. When in actuality, people may have a response to the boundary that is not necessarily what you would want to see. They can call you rude or talk about you behind your back. Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is that that's something that you have to practice for yourself. Practice sitting with that discomfort. Mm-hmm. It's not easy at all. And I think we want it to be easy and we want it to be the only way that we can place a boundary is if it's easy. If it's easy, I'll do it. But if it's tough, I don't want to do it because this other person is going to make it hard for me when in actuality, they have the right to do that. Like they don't want to respect the boundary. Like, do you know how hard it is for me to place boundaries with myself? I don't even want to respect my own boundaries. If I have to get up. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So if I have to get up early in the morning, I don't want to go to bed at like 930. What? (laughs) I'm like, that is such a whack bedtime. Who's doing that? Like 1030 at the earliest, right? So I really have to push past that and be like, girl, you will thank yourself in the morning. Your eyes will not be hurting the way your skin going to glow. Um, you'll be <laughs> rested. You will not have to drink a little Celsius tomorrow. You will have all the energy. I have to really talk myself through it. But even I push back <laughs> against my own boundary. I'm still like, I could just scrolling for 20 more minutes. So thinking that other people will take our boundaries and just be like, yay, yay. We don't even say yay with our own boundaries. We're fighting ourselves. So shouldn't the expectation be that there may be some conflict, there may be a problem? That's a really good point. I don't even respect my own boundary. (laughs) Why would I expect anybody else to be like immediately, yes, ma'am? Totally agree. Definitely 100% doing that. When I can't even get myself to bed on time, when I can't even stop eating cookies at 8 p.m., when I can't even work out five days a week, like whatever your boundary that you've set for yourself is, we don't even respect our own boundaries. (laughs) But yet we expect other people to with perfect compliance or never mind. Yeah. Isn't that an unreasonable expectation? It's unreasonable. It's super unreasonable. Like we are violating our own boundaries all over the place. And it's like, why won't they just listen to me the first time? It's like, girl, you don't even listen to yourself. (laughs) You know how many times I have to say in the morning, get out the bed, get out the bed, get out the bed. Yeah, I feel you. I get it. That's a that's a really good point. I had not thought of that. That we don't respect the boundaries we set for ourselves, but we have an unrealistic expectation. Now, that doesn't mean don't set a boundary. That doesn't mean ignore the bad behavior. That doesn't mean that it's not worth it to try to change. But going in with a reasonable expectation of yeah, they're going to push back on this boundary, and that is their right to push back on it. I think that mindset shift can help maybe mitigate some of that disappointment that we feel when people don't immediately hop to and immediately say, oh, absolutely, let me comply with your wishes. You talk too in the book about we cannot save people from themselves. 
And I think this is a really hard one as a parent. If you are a parent of an adult child who is heading down a path that is really hurtful, or you have a family member who is in an active addiction pattern, we want to save people from themselves. We desperately want to, and we can't. It's a really hard thing to navigate inside of a relationship when you can see so clearly what the issues are, but you can't save them from themselves. What advice would you have for someone in that situation? I question that we can see so clearly what the issues are. We think we can see so clearly what the issues are. Maybe what we think is the issue is not actually the issue because we aren't their therapists. We don't even know what their issues are because they haven't even told us everything about their life. The thing that we think is someone else's problem might not actually be the problem. I learned that from being a therapist. The things that people talk about is not always the most obvious thing. So it's very hard for us to look at people and then just come up with this quick answer of, oh, this is what their problem is. And I know the solution. Maybe I don't. I don't even know all of their problems because people have secrets and they will never tell us. People have things Mm. that they've been through and we will never know the whole story about it. People share things in a way that can conceal parts of what they're sharing. And so what we're responding to is really just what we know. And we may not know the whole story. Mm, That's a really good point. That's a very good point that we think we know. But even if we can observe from the outside, well, you have an active addiction and that's your problem. What they would tell you in therapy might be something, a very different story than you as an outside observer are receiving. That's such a good point. I had not thought of it that way. So let's say you are a parent and your 28-year-old child is having addiction issues or is having issues with, you know, finding it challenging to be a law-abiding citizen. Let's put it that way. And we know we can't save people from themselves. What is a parent or a loved one to do in that scenario? Figure out the ways in which I am able to love you. Here's the thing, you know, I think we feel like that we have to change people in order to love them. We can love a child who is engaged in behaviors that we would rather them not be engaged in. Now, how we love them is the question. How do I show up in a loving way with a person who has an addiction? How do I show up in a loving way with a child who may have committed a crime? It's not getting them to be sober. It's not getting them to be a law-abiding citizen. It's maybe I meet them at Denny's once a month. Maybe I send them a care package. Maybe I put some money in their commissary. Maybe when they go to court, I sit there. And maybe you still say to the child, you know, what you did is not okay. I don't think that Because someone is living a life that you don't agree with, that that means you collude with them in their wrongness. That's such a good way to think about it, that if you want to remain in a relationship with them, that there is a way that you can figure out to love them that does not collude with them in their wrongness. Your child is is Jeffrey Dahmer. You don't go along with it and be like, well, you're my child. I love you. Let's do some serial killing. (laughs) You know, like that's not the move. That's That's not the move. Not the move. (laughs) No. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that his dad had to stop loving him because of what he did. 
Yeah, it might mean writing him letters in jail. I was just hearing something about, unfortunately, a school, maybe it was a school shooting or some, maybe it was a shooting in the workplace. And the mom called the police. She called and she said, I had information. My son was committing this crime. That doesn't mean that she doesn't love her son. That means, hey, he's doing this thing. Let's protect these people. She may go to court with him. It doesn't mean that she supports what he did. That was recently in the Louisville bank shooting. You're exactly right, where he was going to shoot up his workplace at the bank and his mom called the police saying, I just found this out. Yes, thank you, mom. Yes. Yeah, it's not like, you know what? I'm not going to say anything, my kid. No, it doesn't mean loyalty. (laughs) It means I love you. I'm protecting all of these other people in the world if I can. I'm going to, I will call a tip line on you, but I love you. And my love for you doesn't mean that I will support you in harming other people. It doesn't mean I'll support you in harming yourself. But it does mean that I will be there for you in healthy ways when I can. And in a healthy way in this situation is to report you to the police because you are hurting not just others, but also yourself by doing this. Mm, It's so good that it we can choose to remain in people's lives in a healthy way that does not support them in harming themselves and other people. It's That's so good. I love that. The Unabomber, his brother called on him. His brother called. He had a manifesto maybe in the New York Times or one of these popular papers. And his brother said, hey, that sounds like the writing of my brother. He's been sending me some weird stuff. And they found him based on his brother's tip, chose to never speak to his brother again. His brother said, I tried to reach out to him. I wasn't going to cut him off, but I was going to call the police, (laughs) right? Like, I think that's my brother. But he's like, I have to accept that he doesn't want to talk to me anymore. And I saved a lot of lives. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. His brother chose to do the right thing, you know, acting out of love, saving lives. You know what? This brings me to a point that I think sometimes when we have a family member, I think harming other people is a very extreme example. I think what's more reasonable is when we are enabling people in a certain way, we see that as love. And that's what that is. When you're supporting someone in their wrongdoing because you love them, that is enabling them. You are facilitating the harm of themselves. You are facilitating the harm of others. But when you're able to say, you know what, this is harmful and I'm not going to be a part of this. I will do what I need to. You know, sometimes parents, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming out now about adult children needing more and more parental support and needing to stay on parents' insurance, needing to stay in the home longer, needing loans from parents, needing all of these things from parents. And that is okay and fine if you have a child who is working towards something. But when you have a child who's just taking advantage of that stuff and they're like, I'm fine, I never have to pay my rent. It becomes an enabling situation where you have to figure out how much are you getting in the way of this person having a consequence. And that's what happens, you know, in the more extreme example, you're trying to protect them from the consequence of jail. You're trying to protect which needs to happen 
in that situation. That is a consequence that needs to happen to save others. You know, you're trying to protect them from the consequence of not being able to go out with their friends and pay rent. You know, like you're trying to protect them from the consequence of many things sometimes with other people, with our siblings, with our parents. We're trying to protect them from this stuff that actually might need to happen in order for them to be safe for others to be safe, for them to maybe figure things out sometimes. And when we're doing that, it impacts other family relationships. When it's your sibling and you have a parent always bailing them out, it impacts your relationship with that sibling and with your parent because you're like, hey, I I need help too, mom. Um, I need help too, dad. And they're pooling their resources towards this one person. So the enabling impacts everyone. It's just not one person. It's the whole system that's impacted. Mm, So true. It is not just the relationship between the two people that is impacted. That thing has tentacles. Mm -hmm. That thing has tentacles that get itself in all the other relationships too. And it may be unintended, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Absolutely. Listen, I know if you pick up any kind of beauty magazine or you follow an influencer, there's like a new skincare product every single day of the week. And it can be really difficult to know which ones to even try, like which one is worth your money. And if you're tired of cycling through ineffective skincare trends and overcomplicated routines, you might be excited to know that one of today's sponsors is OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy. No complicated routines, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. I especially like the eye cream. It's not too thick where you feel like it's going to clog all your pores, but it goes on really, really nicely under makeup. For a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase using the code SHARON when you check out at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. Try OneSkin and enjoy younger, healthier skin without all the extra steps. That's oneskin.co, code SHARON. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. 
it'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I love how you talk about not just, well, sometimes you have problems, relationships, and, you know, that's really terrible. And it's not just identifying the problem. It's also talking about what you can do about it, what it looks like to grow as a person. And one of the things that I wanted to mention sort of in closing was you talk about some myths that are, I think, pervasive thoughts that people have when they are learning to deal with relationships in a more healthy way. And one of the myths you mentioned is that once you have forgiven someone, you can't talk about it anymore. And I think that is like, mm, I think to so many people, forgiveness means forgetting. I thought you forgave me. You can never bring it up again. What actually is forgiveness? And when is it appropriate to continue to talk about something that happened? You know, I think there is a fine line between talking about something that happened and constantly throwing it in a person's face. There are times where we are bringing it up daily, weekly, moment to moment, (laughs) where it's like, okay, too much. Uh, Maybe you're not in a zone of forgiveness. It's still not (laughs) forgiven. And that's okay, too. But there may be, you know, rare occasions or times where we still feel impacted by stuff. And sometimes it's for us to internally process. And there are other times where we have to bring it up with the person. You did this and I'm still not over it. What really helps is a person's willingness to sit with someone during the discomfort of processing something. So I'm still in this space. I'm not necessarily feeling better about it. And I love to talk to you about it, but not always putting them in the seat of having to help you with the issue that you have with them. Because sometimes we have to process the situation on our own, or we have to realize a person can't really help us with something we have to do internally. That's a really good distinction. That it doesn't mean you can never bring it up or say to somebody, I would really love to speak to you about this. I'm still not over it. And I would love to be able to talk this out. There's a big difference between that and bringing it up every 15 minutes. Those are not the same thing. (laughs) It's not the same thing. Yeah. Bringing it up constantly can be a little icky, right? It's like, is there anything that they can do to help you move past this? Or is the doing this just rubbing it in their face. And sometimes we have to acknowledge if we can't stop bringing it up to a person, maybe we aren't really ready to forgive. And that's okay. You don't have to rush to forgiveness. You can take your time getting there. What do you hope that people who read your book, Drama Free, what do you hope is one of their takeaways? I know they will probably have about 65 takeaways, but what would be one that you'd be really happy to hear that someone took away from your book? One of the biggest takeaways that I love for people to hear is 
you have a lot of power to not just deal with stuff, but also to improve your relationships. Every relationship is not to be thrown away. Some of them can be preserved with the appropriate boundaries, with hard conversations, with some level of acceptance with people. Things can improve. Mm, I love that. And that also speaks to what you were saying earlier, that changing allows us to be more in control of our own destinies and improving relationships is one aspect of that. We don't just have to accept what we're handed, that we can actively seek to improve our family relationships. I love that. Nedra, thank you for being here today. Such a treat to talk to you. And I just really enjoyed your book. And I think so many people will have a lot of eye-opening moments, but also very useful strategies. This is not just a theoretical book of ideas. It also has a lot of very practical hands-on things that people can do. So thank you so much. Wonderful. You're welcome. Nedra Tawab's book, Drama Free, is out now. You can buy it wherever you like to buy books. I highly recommend it because who among us does not have a family relationship that could be improved? And I love that her advice is not just theoretical, it's also very practical. You can also follow Nedra on Instagram. Her username is Nedra Tawab, and I love seeing her account come up in my feed. Thanks so much for being here today. This show is researched and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. Our executive producer is Heather Jackson. Our audio producer is Jenny Snyder. And if you enjoyed this episode, would you consider leaving us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform? That helps us so much. And we always love to see your shares and tags on social media. We'll see you again soon.